Interesting. And this whole carnivore diet, I don't really want to call it a trend because I, I've heard of some people who, you know, they do it out of necessity because it's the only thing that helped them cure right. their autoimmune disorders yeah. and actually get them back to feeling like a normal human being. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I kind of tried to have a more balanced approach. So have, you know, a little bit of everything, a little bit of what grows in the ground, protein, fats, minimal sugar, my sugar, I save for wine, which is... Right. Well, here's the other know. thing. What about if we just didn't give it a label? What about if you just ate in a way that in your mind you knew what you needed, but there's not actually a title for it. You just eat the Christina diet. Like, it doesn't even yeah. have to be called a diet. It's just your way. And yes, it is probably skewed more towards a carnivore diet, but you don't need to give it a name. And it also means that if something changed, because your body can change then you would just shift into what it needs next rather than, again, it having to need a label. I think the label is where we run into trouble, especially when it's something that is quite um, predominant, like vegan or vegetarian. What about if we just ate the way that we ate and we didn't give it a name? It would be much more freeing, far less, um, you know, we're not putting you into a box. And it means that if you need to change or move outside of that, you just do. Yeah, that's a really good point. Then you don't have that identity planted. No, that's in your, right. And then because that's stressful in itself. And then I see so many people that are so fixated on what they're eating that that's actually causing the majority of their problems because they really have a phobia around eating the wrong thing or, um, you know, what the consequences of that might be. So I think we do need to really free ourselves when it comes to nutrition. Yeah. Nat, I do want to touch on one of the main questions that I had for you, and that is hormonal birth control. Yes. What are your thoughts on it, and how much does that affect women and women's health? Yeah, in my experience, I think the main point is that we're talking about birth control being, whether it's the oral contraceptive pill or the marina or the Deprovera or whatever form of synthetic hormone contraception you're talking about, put them all under the one category. Um mm. And, you know, they've been, they're available for us as a contraception, which means that they prevent us from, you know, unwanted pregnancies, which is revolutionary. But having said that, when we're using them to treat a problem, that's where I find that the biggest issues lie. And so if you are utilizing birth control because you are well informed and you understand the risks associated with that, and you are doing everything you can to maintain good health, knowing that you want to use that for contraception, then power to you. But if you're using it to treat your endometriosis or your adenomyosis or your PCOS or your acne or your cramping or your PMS or, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on, it's not actually fixing a problem. And so women are led to believe that it's, it's fixing something when it's actually just not only is it masking the symptoms, but because it really depletes the gut, and we've spoken about gut health and how paramount that is, because it depletes the gut so much, not only are the, pro is, are the issues there when a woman decides to transition off birth control, but they're often tenfold because vitamin and mineral stores have been depleted, gut integrity is being compromised, um, and, and that can it contribute to things like we've spoken about, inflammation and deficiencies in the body. So... It is really important for a woman to actually have thorough 
consultation and figure out why she's experiencing the symptoms that she is, not just being handed birth control, which doesn't treat it at all. It can offer some very welcome short-term relief, but to me it's very lazy if we're using that to manage something over a period of time. And the biggest issue I really see is young women being prescribed the pill. Our sex hormones don't mature until around the age of 21. And often young girls at around the age of 16 will start to see some hormone changes, which is very normal, and they can also mimic PCOS. This is the time where maybe uh, cycles become a little bit irregular, and as you know, as a mother as well, you would freak out. You're like, oh, my goodness, my daughter's cycles are regular. Let's go to the doctor. And you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, well, let's give her birth control because I'm concerned that her cycles are irregular. Now, what you're doing essentially to that 16-year-old is you're shutting down the maturation of her sex hormones at the age of 16. Remember, I said that they mature around the age of 21. So if you're shutting that down, you're turning off the development of her and maturation of her sex hormones and you're not treating the reason why the cycles have become erratic in the first place. So this same girl says she transitions off the pill at, let's say, 26 because she decides it's no longer for her and she wants to stop taking it. Her sex hormones are as mature as a 16-year-old self. So for a lot of women, they'll come off the pill as a, let's say, 26-year-old. They don't get a period for ages. It's all over the place. They're problematic. Their skin breaks out. They start to lose hair. Like there's lots of reasons why, sorry, there's lots of symptoms as to what we can experience, all because the original hormone imbalance wasn't actually looked at at the time. And I believe it's such a disservice to women to not actually thoroughly explore what's happening at that point in time prior to prescribing birth control and so again also you've got to rely on uh, uh, if you're using it for contraception again you've got to rely on the teenager to take the pill at the same time and be responsible and it's really disconnecting a woman from her body and her her ebbs and flows that come with her um, hormones the other thing is that as women we're all, we've all had a point in time likely that we have not loved having a period. And so mm. our teenage daughters or our loved ones look at that and go, well, why would I want it? Let's just turn it off. Like, I don't need that. I don't want that. And it's so important that we get the ebbs and flows of our cycle. It influences our moods. It influences our decisions. It's how we, you know, we make, we make choices as women every minute of every day based on where, what our hormones are doing. Um, and if they're in balance, then we make good decisions. And if they're not in balance, well, we might not make the best decisions, but it's still part of who we are on the whole. So it is very important that we understand what the pill does outside of um, flatlining hormones and how that has ongoing impact on us. And I'd say the number one thing women say to me when they transition off the pill is, I didn't know what it was to feel like me because it mm -hmm. alters our brain so much. That's we so are not scary. actually who we are. It is scary. It's really scary, but we don't talk about this. Um, and you definitely need to check out the book. There's a couple of resources um, that talk about this. One's called The Pill. The book is actually called The Pill. And Dr. Sarah, and I can't think of her surname, but she's done the research all around the brain and the book's actually called your brain on birth control and it's worth absolutely worth the read not to scare you it's fascinating the research that they have been able to um, conduct as a result of how it alters our brain it changes or um, it's believed to change our thought processes our decisions um, 
you know, our pheromones, who we're attracted to. It's wild. So it's not any wonder that, I mean, I see this side of it. And there are women out there that would be happily using birth control and that's fine but if there, there are also women out there that are not happily using birth control and if you can think about what it does it because it flatlines our hormones it then flatlines everything else that goes with it and whilst we might be a little bit crazy in the lead up to our menstrual cycles it, again it's just it, it's not a terrible thing it's another symptom that we can use to um, help us understand what's happening for us so rather than fear our symptoms I think we really need to embrace them but bottom line is, I think women, I would really love it if women actually understood what the pill did and make an informed decision. And if they decide to use it, then what else do we need to do to support our bodies whilst we're taking it? I think fundamentally, a, a multivitamin, multimineral, a fish oil and a probiotic are the, the three things that I would highly recommend that if you are using some form of synthetic birth control, you are supporting your body all the while um, with those supplements because that's essentially we know that it robs the body in many areas yeah it's supposed to i think deplete your body of pretty much like you said it flattens everything, everything and... except for iron iron is the only thing research shows that it doesn't um deplete in fact probably because you're not having a, you know you're not bleeding as much you're still mm. having a withdrawal bleed that's the other thing women don't understand that that's not a period that's a withdrawal bleed. You're not ovulating whilst you're on the pill. So it's definitely not fixing your periods because you're not getting a period. Um, but there's so much to learn around that and people are, and women are still very confused about that because they're not given the information when it's first prescribed to them. Well, and it's crazy to me when I first moved to Canada. So I come from Eastern Europe, from a former USSR Republic. And mm -hmm. the medicine is very much still, um, I guess what it was in Soviet Union, it's obviously a lot more modernized and everything, mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is a lot of it is based on preventative medicine. And so, for example, I don't know how it is in Australia, but in Canada, if you want to get in with a specialist, any kind of specialist, you're more likely going to wait a very long time. Even if it's more or less of an, an emergency, you're, you're going to wait a long time to see a specialist. So, when I moved to Canada and I found out that I moved to Canada when I was 17 years old by myself, I didn't have you know my mom's supervision over me at all, but I learned that I could just go to my family doctor or any doctor, any you know walk-in clinic, and they'll prescribe birth control to me. And back home, in, in the meantime, you know my girlfriends in their 20s, if they wanted a birth control pill, they had to go to their family doctor, then they had to go to an endocrinologist, they had to go to, I think, do some blood work. There was all these tests that they had to go through first before they are prescribed, if they are prescribed, uh, if, if they decide to, to go down that path. It's not, you know, the doctor doesn't really make that decision, but they make an informed decision on whether or not they want to go into birth control mm -hmm. and what pill is best for them. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very bizarre to me, like what you were saying, when, you know, 16, 17-year-old girls could go and just get birth control at clinics with no... I think you've raised a really valid point, and that is that we, unfortunately, the way the system is, and this is not your your doctor's fault, this is the system. No. You yeah. go to your doctor and you, you want a solution, so they want to provide you with one, and so they prescribe birth control, because they are not the endocrinologist or the gynecologist or the specialist. And I think that's exactly to my point where the, the spiral begins because at that point, 
hormones should be tested. Somebody who understands and knows how to read what those hormones should look like for a 16-year-old need to be assessed. And then we need to make the best decisions based on that. And what can we do to actually treat the imbalance that's occurring, not just mask it with the pill? So I think you're right. You're very, that's spot on to that. Um, And it's unfortunate, but we want a solution from the doctor. And so the doctor does the best that the doctor can with the resources that that doctor has, and that's birth control. Usually, they're not going to sit there for and say do something that like I do. I would, you know, that we would sit there for an hour, and I would come up with a treatment plan. I would look at the blood tests. I would work out what's actually happening, and then treat the actual imbalance. That's not the medical model. And so I think we are unfortunately being prescribed things that should probably be coming from a specialist because the system is somehow got these little holes in it um, that really, again, aren't serving, aren't serving women at all. And this is where we find... I think this is where we find the biggest issues. And we know, the research does say, that the older you are before you start on any hormonal birth control or synthetic um, hormones, the less problematic it is for you. And it's because of that reason. It's because of when the, you know, the age at which your hormones do mature that are impacted as a result of birth control, which is a medication at the end of the day. Yeah. I wanted to go back to something real quick. You mentioned that it even affects like the pheromones pheromones, and who you're attracted to. That's something that I recently learned. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I met my husband on birth control. And I was like, thank God I'm still attracted to him because I'm not on birth control. Because I've heard of of these, you know, this research popping up from everywhere, not everywhere, but many places that you could be attracted to the wrong person, not to the wrong person, but if you go off of your birth control, you won't be attracted to the same person anymore. Can we talk about that? Does that happen? Yeah, so I think the research is that, you know, women that are on the pill see the world more platonically. They don't tend to have a high libido. They're not... um, they're not necessarily, um, what's the word I'm looking for, drawn to having children anytime soon. So I guess well, there's a word for that. I can't think of it. Um, it just turns everything off. That's what it's mm. supposed to do. It flatlines your hormones. So it's not any wonder that you are, you know, that research does show that they show women, they showed women that are on the pill and off the pill pictures of babies and the reaction to the women that were on the pill was very di- different to the reaction of the woman that wasn't. Again, it turns off feelings it turns off hormones and and those 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 triggers that happen within our brain and so you know the same with uh, attracting a suitable or being attracted to a suitable partner it's not that they're not suitable but to put it in a sense of optimal compatibility that's the argument that that it gets talked about is this optimal compatibility and then you can go down the rabbit hole of fertility and why we have so many fertility issues because of people meeting and being together that wouldn't ordinarily be attracted to each other and they're not actually compatible it's fascinating to me but you, you are right there is research that definitely supports that because of the way that it turns off certain hormones in our body we are less we feel less Therefore, we are, have less attraction. And it's really creating... If, if everybody's hormones are the same all the time, it's kind of creating the same person over and over and over again, which is another whole conversation um, and rabbit hole if you want to go down that. But, you know, if you think about it, if, if we're all the same as women all the time, that's kind of like, 
our superpower lies within ovulation. When we're ovulating, we're powerful and we don't want to turn that off. We want to be able to experience that, harness that and utilize that. And so this is what I'm saying. When women come off birth control, the first thing they say is, I didn't know what it was like to feel like me. And that too yeah. is frightening. It's, it's really scary. Every single, you know, one of my girlfriends who have taken birth control have said the exact same thing, including myself. Right. It's like, wow, I didn't know that this was me. I have this personality well, that I just went, discovered. Right. But if you went on the birth control at 17 and you, I mean, we don't know who we are at 17, do we? We're just learning. We're learning so much about ourselves where, where it isn't, it's not a fun time. I would agree with that. Like it's, it's a hard time. We're going through a lot of things for the first time. Um, but if we're turning off, you know, many normal reactions and ways and responses, then that's got, you know, how will we ever know who we are? <laughs> well, it's almost like when you transition off the pill, you've got to relearn who you are almost. It's like you're reconnected with thoughts and feelings that you didn't even know you had. So that's why women say that is because they're reunited with themselves once again. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, it's kind of, it's scary and very interesting at the same time. It's scary because it's happening to real, real people and real women. It's interesting yeah. just because how much goes on with our body. It's so true. And now, and that's, that makes sense. Yeah, that's ahead. why if you're turning off systems that need to work, there's going to be a response to that. And whether that's a positive response or a negative response, in my experience, it so commonly is a negative response over a long period of time. Does it take a certain period of time if, let's say, in you know the example that you were bringing up, let's say a girl goes on a birth control when she's 16 or 17 and then she goes off when she's 26, 27. Is there a period of time that her body cleanses or when is she able to be herself? Yeah, 26, I think everyone is self? a little bit different, but we gen generally say as a rule around six months is, uh, you know, if we were looking at... If you're a patient and you said, I'm on birth control, I want to have children and I want to get my body back to the best possible state before we start trying, then we would say six months is around about the right amount of time for your body to find itself again and for your hormones to be supported and where they need to be. So I would say around six months, which is why it's not uncommon if you go to the doctor and you haven't got a period back within six months, most doctors will actually say to you, oh, it's pretty normal that it'll take up to six months to return. I wouldn't wait either if you come off the pill tomorrow. I wouldn't wait six months before you went and actually figured out, you know, what are the next steps. I would do that hand in hand with transitioning off the birth control, especially if you had known challenges. In fact, for patients, I would say don't transition off birth control until we actually set the foundation, get things working better and then transition off so that all of your symptoms don't come rushing back. Last, well, I keep talking and talking about this because it's so fascinating, but I know we're almost at our time. The last question kind of to, you know, divert a little bit from birth control that I wanted to ask you, we talked about stress and how much it affects, you know, certain responses in your body. How much do you believe in your mind and body relationship? So if you have like a certain type of feeling that you experience or certain type of stress, how it affects a certain type of body, do you believe in that and how, how, how does that work? Oh my gosh, we need like another five hours. I love this question. Um, I mean, it's so influential. The thoughts that you think are so influential over every single cell in your body. And I think for a lot of women, this is a big problem because we've watched our mothers hate on their bodies, whether it's they don't like the way they look, whether they're overweight, whether they don't like their period. 
um, and we kind of adopt the same thoughts and feelings, I see a lot of women that will say to me, I just don't understand, I hate my body, why does it do this to me? And it's, you know, it's, it's responding to your environment, it's also responding to your thoughts, which again is really tricky to, to manage and overcome, but I think it's very important we will absolutely our subconscious is the smartest dumbest thing that we own and what we tell it it will just go looking for evidence of so if you are saying to yourself constantly i'm broken my body hates me i'm never going to feel better your subconscious gets activated goes yep okay we've got to go and find more evidence of why your body is not working it is you know a burden it hates you and so we've act we're activating that for ourselves so one of the best things that we can start to do is become more curious as to how our symptoms could lead us down a path of recovery rather than our symptoms being a long-term sentence, life sentence, um, because nothing, unless something has been severely damaged and even then, um, I don't believe anything is permanent and I always think that we can optimise the, the way that our body functions um, under various circumstances. So our mind is extremely powerful. I was Someone was talking the other day about, they. I don't know the exact study that was done here. I would need to go and find it because it's interesting. But they did a study on patients with some type of personality or like bipolar disorder. And they, let's say they were dealing with John and John did a blood test and John was in perfect health. He had no issues with anything. Like his bloods were all fabulous. And then John, 10 minutes later, now is Bill because he's he's actually flipped into another personality and they test Bill's blood and Bill has pre-diabetes, heart issues. Like the blood tests show precursors for all of these um, potential illnesses to develop, but it's the same person. And it's because Bill believes one thing and John believes another and so it just goes to show how influential our mind is over our body. Now, I mean, I guess maybe he's predisposed. We've already sp- spoken about genes and the way our genes behave and that we're predisposed to certain things. But we can, again, um, our mind is another influencing factor, just like our environment, just like nutrition, just like stress is another huge influencing factor. And and I think it's the hardest. And I think for a lot of people, if there's been some type of trauma or large stressful event, it can be a big factor as well and something that we have to really work at and manage. And our our mindset is everything and it's a constant work in progress and it goes up and it comes down and it goes around. But if we can can try and keep that as healthy as possible and be curious as possible, then I think that actually is, I'm glad you asked that question because to me that's the most important out of everything. Yeah. I started to get really curious about that subject when, so I used to get urinary tract infections almost every week. And I I was in a relationship that I was really unhappy in and I knew it wasn't the right one, but I was really young and it was one of those situations where I was trying to figure Mm -hmm. things out in life, right? Mm -hmm. And almost every week it was excruciatingly painful. And then I left that relationship and I've never had a urinary tract infection since. And you left since. behind the UTIs with it. <laughs> and I was like, this is so weird. Like, I didn't really particularly change anything in my diet, like, at that time or anything like that. And 
you know, like so I've been powerful. with my husband now for eight and a half years and I've, I've, I have no idea now what urinary tract infections are. And I used to get them every single week. And I looked into um, the works of Louise Hay. I don't know mm -hmm, if you've heard of her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, she has the book where she talks about, I think it's like, you can heal your body or something. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about your urinary tract infections and chronic, so to speak, urinary tract infections being related to you being unhappy with your partner in some way, shape or form. And I thought to myself, oh my God, that totally checks out. And ever right? since that time, I've been fascinated with that, with that topic. And now and I I'm think almost we like can't separate the physical and the emotional. We like to, again, let's separate them out. Let's separate out systems. You can't. And they're so independent of each other. We can have a physical response to an emotion, hmm. right? You can get bad news and you feel sick to your stomach. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I woke up on Sunday and I had like a flare up of eczema under my eye. I haven't had eczema for years and years, but after COVID, I've flared again. So COVID was a bit of a trigger, something else that you know, we talked about triggers. Um, <clears throat> viruses can definitely be triggering of certain or reactivate um, certain conditions that we might be predisposed to. And I hadn't had any, I'd, I'd kind of um, really worked on that, but I'd woken up and I'd had a really on week i lost someone very close to me that passed away been a very emotional week and i woke up yeah with eczema all around underneath both eyes i was like random but i knew why and it was gone with the within the next day which is also super interesting when you see a condition that was fully fledged one day and gone the next like it's just so wild and i think we've only just scratched the surface what with what our minds are actually capable of um, and I'm really interested to stay in that space and see what else evolves because I think it's people are doing remarkable things against all odds and they don't change anything other than the way they think about something. Totally, totally. Yeah, well, Louise's Hay story was the first one that I, mm. I became familiar with and yes. it was fascinating to me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Nat, we are at our time. I could keep talking and talking. Uh, I wanted to ask you, how could our listeners, you know, find you, work with you, your contact info? Yeah. Um, com is my website. If you head there, everything else is there. I will let Christina put the spelling of that in the show notes or somewhere else because it's a, a big, long one and a mouthful. And I don't think even if I spell it out, no one's going to remember it. Um, and I love hanging out on Instagram. I love having conversations on Instagram. So again, Nat Kringudis on Instagram, go and hang out there. But yeah, they're the two main places. And I have a podcast called The Wellness Collective. You can go ahead and check that out as well. Perfect. I'll be sure to link everything in the, in the captions and in the description. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Catamania. If you like this podcast, feel free to follow Catamania on YouTube, as well as follow me, your host, on Instagram and TikTok with the handle being Christina Cataman. C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-C-A-T-A-M-A-N. Stay blessed, my friends.